Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters, May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is PlushCare. PlushCare is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hello, thanks for stopping by Liberty Sessions, where we unpack one woman's entrepreneurial journey to help another woman launch her own. I'm your host, Netta Jones. Please join me as we start liberating dreams one episode at a time. Well, hello there, Liberty listeners. Welcome to another episode of Liberty Sessions. And today we have a real treat. We've got two friends of mine, two new friends um, that I've had the pleasure of sharing a few gin and tonics with um, here in LA. And it's fun to have them in studio. Gina Pell and Amy Parker. Welcome, guys. Hey, Netta. Oh, thanks so much, Netta. It's good to be here. It's good to have you. So um, I'll, I'm going to go back and forth since there's three of us on this. And I'll just ask, um, we'll start out with Amy. Amy, tell us a little bit about the what. All right. Happily. Uh, well, let's see. First, we're, we're called the what list. Um, and uh, we have we started as a newsletter, uh, publishing a list of five things you need to know about. Um, we started this about two and a half years ago, and it's since grown into a community of um, like-minded women. We have a community of about a hundred thousand women now, between ages of thirty and sixty, all very perennial women, and we help each other out. We share conversations. We um, discover through each other, we support each other, and um, we're having a lot of fun. So it's just Gina and I right now, and uh, we're happy to be here and have to have met you through the what. Yes, and I have to say, it's funny that you say it's just Gina and I, because you guys are two powerhouses. <laughs> and Gina, why don't you give us a little background on how the two of you met and kind of the um, the rocket star status that you, or the rock star status rather, that you guys um came from uh, in the in the tech world. You're too kind. Um, I'll start. I'll take this one, Amy. So I I came from a background in 
pretty traditional tech. We were building really boring things called electronic performance support systems, which people don't even understand what that is now. But basically, if you think about the help system, any kind of help system that's on your computer, I used to work at a company that we used to put those on about 15 floppy disks and install them on your, your computer for $6 million. So um, yeah, too bad that <laughs> wow. business is over. Yeah. <laughs> but um, so I started there and I started as a, you know, kind of lowly traffic coordinator. And um, and my work there for five years, I, I worked everywhere from being a traffic coordinator, then to a producer, then to a writer. I worked for a female boss who was incredible. And she really saw the value in um, promoting people based on on meritocracy, on what they did, not really on what their skill set was when they came into the company. And so you know, cut to five years later, I started Splendora and I started it basically from my own Rolodex. Splendora was a company that was a uh, recommendations engine for San Francisco, Los Angeles, New York on uh, for women on where to go, what to do. And so Amy was hired by my best friend who was working with me. <laughs> and I didn't even, I didn't know Amy. She came in to apply for a job. Amy was amazing because we had something like the what list, which was called Friday Foreplay. And I think Amy wrote in and said, Amy pitched herself in the in the in the charming, amazing <laughs> way that Amy Amy did. And she came in, and Amy is this beautiful. Yeah, you know, Amy's beautiful now, but imagine Amy at like twenty seven oh. years old with long blonde hair, <laughs> tight pants, coming into this office interviewing. And my best friend was interviewing her, and she came out of the meeting, and she's like, "Oh my god, she's amazing! She wrote this whole proposal. She's." totally perfect. And I said, don't hire people based on looks, <laughs> which is, can you right. imagine how sexist that was of me? Oh. What a, it's good, it's good what a sexist that bitch I, I, I was. that you had to say. No, it. I did. Yeah. No, because my, my girlfriend, my best friend, she loves beautiful women. She loves like beautiful people. And she gets really stars in her eyes whenever there's somebody who's charismatic and beautiful. And I, I, I'm like, we need a serious biz dev person here, not just some beautiful blonde who walks in and, and charms you with some thing she put together. <laughs> some proposal. Some, some marketing <laughs> proposal. But you know what? Amy, my best friend, ended up um, getting married and having a baby and leaving the company, which was really difficult for her. She wanted to stay. But Amy ended up staying. And it was Amy that kept me in business when the whole world was falling apart, that we raised money and then the dot-com crash came and the whole internet was going out of business. And Amy said... In her North Carolina way, she's like, "Y'all, this is such a good idea, y'all. We we should just keep going." I'm sorry, Amy. I'm sure that's a terrible, a terrible. You're getting better over the years. Um, but Amy and Amy kept us going with with her and I'll, Amy. I'll let you um, tell Netta your your backstory. Well, I, but I came I came from ad sales, so I was in you know what was called in '97. You know, high tech publishing. So I was working for Computer World magazine, and um, and I I had always wanted to be in the internet, and so Splendora was my was my big chance, and I was just I could not fathom the idea of uh, Splendora shutting down the doors and and going out of business, and so um, so we you know I had an ad sales background, and I remember thinking well, let's see, I know how to sell ads and I know the print world. So let's make a book. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and, um, and that's, that's actually what kept us in business. We self-published, we, we self-published three, three books. 
with a very skeletal team. And um, and what were these books about? Were they about the same thing? Uh, you know, kind well, of we places- brought our. So it's so funny. I mean, you know, because we were we were luxury city guides, San Francisco, mm-hmm. Los Angeles, and New York, and so we you know, we kind of translated that to print. And so we had these beautiful books. And um, I remember Gina sold the first ad. She was, you can tell that Gina, but she was at her, she was like sitting in her stylist mm-hmm. chair. And I think you pitched them right then well, and there, I, right? I, my, my, my friend, who, Zam Joaquin, who now runs an amazing conference called Near Future, but she and I were going to shut the company down. And like any smart CEO, I went to go get my hair done because you should never <laughs> underestimate the therapeutic some, powers some space of, to think. of self-care. Right, right, right. And yeah. I'm sitting in my in in my hairdresser's chair, and I remember Amy before I went to the hairdresser because I'm like, you guys, this, you know, it's just this isn't going to work. So we're going to have to. Everybody's going out of business. Eve.com went out of business. Cosmo.com went out of business. Webvan went out of business. We're going out of business and that's the way it is, you know, like we just have to accept it. So I was sitting in my hairdresser's chair and he's like, hey, you guys are killing it over at Splendora, which we'll talk about this later as entrepreneurs. People have such like, oh, yeah. a different opinion of us from the from, from the reality that actually exists. <laughs> and so he goes, gosh, you guys are I, you guys are doing such great a great job. Everybody's talking about you guys. What are you guys up to now? And I was mortified that I had to tell him that we were going out of business. So I said, actually... We are in the process of creating a San Francisco city guide. And he goes, oh my gosh, really? What's that going to be like? And I'm just making it up while he's, while he's doing my roots. I'm like, um, well, it's going to be a book with pretty pictures and it's going to feature all these amazing people in the city. And he, and he goes, how much is it? And I go, um, it's a thousand dollars a page. He's like, girl, sign me up for four. Or, you know, he had, he had these, he had different <laughs> locations and I came back to the office totally stunned and I go, you guys, I think we're making a book. <laughs> <That's>, <laughs> I remember Net, that Netta, day. by the way, this wow. is basically the same way we do business now. <laughs> yeah, kind of. <laughs> I think if most entrepreneurs are honest, they would fess up to something very similar. Yeah. Perhaps it wasn't sitting in their hairdresser's chair, yeah. but it was at having some sort of random aha moment yeah. when things were at their lowest. Oh, gosh. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. So that seems to, I mean, as I listen to the model of Splendora, it seems to, in a lot of ways, match the what list, Mm -hmm. except for that the the economy has totally changed. And by that, I mean the advertising economy and how people are communicating to uh, their consumer base, their target consumer base, their existing consumer base. Is that true? Absolutely true. I mean, I'll let you take this because Amy's the business side and I'm the content side. Okay, go, Amy. Give yeah, us your biz yes, brains. It will, yes, it is true. It's, um, you know, we, I, I find it so interesting that we were selling local, very local businesses um, for three years while everyone in the, you know, in the U.S. got a clue about the power of digital. And um, it wasn't, for us, it wasn't until, I think it was 2004, We Gina and I, we'd gone to New York. We were pitching a really big retail brand and um, and we were pitching them these small little local prices. And, uh, and this woman literally Amy, laughed us out can you tell us just for context what, what that, those prices were? Um, so we were selling, you know, like thousand dollar pages. Okay. I think okay. at that point we Gina moved up to okay. 2,500, maybe 5,000. And, uh, we walked into this big retailer and this woman, she just laughed at us. She said, uh, can I, can I write you a personal check? Oh, <laughs> and, Gina and I thought, 
we, we walked out of the, that office just with our heads hung low and uh, we're like, oh man, this sucks. And um, it changed everything for us though, because it was a, a good swift kick in the ass. It's exactly what we needed at that time. The world had caught on to the power of digital at that point and ad- advertising online. Even though we've had all of these brands for the last three or four years say, you'll never see my brand mm-hmm. online. And uh, we're like, we're from the West Coast. Like, it's happening. Yeah. Um, but, um, you know, we came back to that retailer a year later and with, I think, two or three extra zeros on there. And we were off to the races. Um, it changed our business. We were working with national brands. Um, and uh, we built a really amazing business from that point forward through sponsor, you know, through sponsorship. Um, funny enough, I mean, fast forward 10, 10 plus years later, um, it, things have changed yeah. drastically. And, you know, Gina and I started the what two and a half years ago with the idea that we could go back out and, and kind of connect with all of our, our brands and our clients from Splendora days. And it would be no problem to just turn those relationships back on. But what we found is, um, number one, they, the, the landscape in general had changed. It's a very influencer-focused landscape. Um, about followers, not a, less about relationships. Um, and two, that they were very focused on, I mean, we heard this verbatim. Well, if you're not targeting millennials specifically, we're not interested. Right. <laughs> and so it's been, um, it's been a learning for us, a learning process over the last couple of years to, to evolve our business and figure out how to build relationships with brands that we want to bring them into our world and into the conversations that we're having with our community rather than just selling them impressions and selling them banners, um, which was very much the case for the early 2000s. And so it's different. Um, I, I personally think it to be um, a much more authentic way to work with brands right now. Um, and so we're having fun discovering, you know, what that looks like and how we bring them into our world. And yet it required us to go through that season 10 years ago to get to this, right? I mean, Absolutely. We had, yes. in order to get to this sort of authentic place with brands and consumers requiring this sort of transparency, we had to go through that. Um, yes. Gina, I want to direct this next question at you. As Amy talked about, you know, you guys pursuing these brands and brands talking about, hey, look, if you're not pursuing millennials, if you're not reaching millennials, you know, we're not interested. So I know you had become in the midst of this prior to this, maybe, uh, you know, some years back, I'm not sure. You had become um, fascinated by, intrigued by, and sort of um, um, annoyed with (laughs) this concept that there is a demographic that perhaps is being ignored. And some of this is me projecting. Um, So you can own what's yours and the leftovers are mine. Mm -hmm. But... um, what did you do uh, to retell that story or or create a different paradigm for both us within, well, you coined this phrase perennial. Mm-hmm. Why did you do that? What was the intention behind that? And um, tell us a little bit more about mm-hmm. it. So perennials, it was a it was an article that I wrote back in 2016. That was a year after Amy and I started the What List. And it, I was basically putting a name to something that Amy and I had been feeling for a long time. And it, we, the reason why we started the what was in direct response to the fact that after we sold Splendora, after Daily Candy was sold, and Daily Candy was started by Danny Levy, who had become a really great mm-hmm. friend. I love Danny. 
Um, you know, and Danny and I, w- when we were all doing this together, we were always talking about, you know, Daily Candy started by selling $250 mentions in their newsletter and $500 mentions. And then, you know, we scaled to reflect the sign of the times and the fact that we were gaining power as digital media companies. But, you know, after Daily Candy sold and after Splendora sold, Amy and I were sitting around. Amy was working somewhere else. I was doing my thing. We had two companies under our belts and we were longing to work together again. And we started throwing around ideas. And one idea that we kept coming back to time and time again was there's nothing, there's no content that really appeals to us as, as consumers, women, forget about age. I hate that thing. Like women of a certain age. It sounds so, it sounds like a a disease, right? (laughs) So it's just that, uh, I mean, even though, yeah, of course we all age. Um, but I feel that it, it's our spirit, how Amy and I connected. We've been partners um, in three different companies over the last 18 years. It's not because of our ages. I mean, I am, I hate this too, Amy. I'm six years older than Amy. Amy's birthday is next week. <laughs> <laughs> and my, my daughter's like, is Amy going to be your age? <laughs> I think of us as the same age, always. I think of myself as younger. <laughs> Damn you. Amy's the grown up in our relationship. But that's, but that's, I mean, you're, you're speaking exactly to what Jane is talking about, which is kind of the the spirit that that it's, it's kind of what we bring to the table and the, the thoughts that we share or have in common. Right. And so, you know, this is a very long winded way of answering your question, Netta, about perennials, (laughs) but you know, it started actually with Amy and I um, creating content for perennials before I even put a name to it. And then after creating this content and we noticed that we had this, this following of women, some women as young as 18 years old or 19 years old, some women as old as 89 years old reading it. And we, I started thinking to myself when we went out there to go make money off of the brand, why are people so focused on millennials when the biggest technology companies in the world, the most successful companies in the world are focused on what you do and your interests. So if you look at Amazon, Google, Apple, Facebook, they're not targeting you based on your birth year. So I wrote this article. It went crazy viral. Uh, CNN covered it. MSNBC covered it. It was translated into nine different languages. My favorite is Norwegian. It's in, it's in Aftenposten (laughs) and the, in the equivalent of the Norwegian New York Times Sunday magazine, I and I have it. it in print. It's it's it. so impressive to see like G, like Gina Pell, and, and and then a lot of Norwegian <laughs> following that. It's seriously one of my proudest moments. Uh, Please tell me it's framed somewhere. Uh, you know, I I kind of like pull it out when people come over. I'm like, oh, did you see this? Like, <laughs> no, it, it needs a frame. Oh, yeah. it deserves a frame. Right. Amy, get it framed. Right. Um, but you know, with the, Done. I think with perennials, uh, the reason why it's, um, I think the reason why it's resonating, it, it, it's really struck a chord, especially with people over 40, which is, which is great, but I really want to drive home the fact that perennials isn't just about relevancy after 40, but it's about a mindset that I'm sure Netta you've had that I know Amy has had that I've had since I was a child where I just, I don't see limitations based on my age. I, I look at the world through a lens of curiosity, through possibility, right? And I, I don't think like when I was 19 or 18 or 17 or 32, I, I wasn't thinking, well, I'm too old for this now. I'm too young for this now, right? right? right. Look at Emma Gonzalez. But you weren't thinking mm-hmm. that way, but didn't, doesn't it shock you how many people do? 
that's when I feel like an outlier. Yeah. When yeah. I'm amongst my friends who are like, well, you know, I mean, I got about 10 more years. And yeah. then I'm like, 10 more years of what? Right. Why are you even talking like that? Well, you know, not because yeah. it's scary, but because it, I, it hadn't occurred to me that there was an end date, that there was some sort of expiration date on my career or my possibilities or what I was capable of doing. Mm -hmm. I didn't, I didn't understand it. Well, I'll tell you, it's built into our system, right? So, I mean, the fact that, that retirement age was set at 65, it makes total sense that by the time we're 40, we go, oh man, I only have 25 years left and I might as well just keep going on what I'm doing right now because to learn a brand new thing would be crazy for me to start from the beginning. And so uh, we come from a society that doesn't value, that values, um, and it's not even youth, okay, because society doesn't value people under 30, usually, or people under 25, right? Society just values that golden age between when you're really killing it, supposedly, right? Between like 32 and 40-ish, right? Yeah, God forbid you didn't kill it in that season. Right. You're kind of washed yeah, up. Right? <laughs> but, you know, I, yeah. but I, so I, understand, I, I completely mm. understand why people think of themselves that way. I have close friends and a lot of my family members who who make those statements all the time. Like, oh my gosh, I can't do this. I can't dan- go to you know dance anymore on a Wednesday night or wear a mini skirt. They, I understand why it exists, but I, and I, when I wrote this article, I really thought that this was just another Gina rant that I was going to write and I was going to disappear into the internet. Like oh, a lot of my stuff has, <laughs> or I should say some of my stuff. Um, yeah. <laughs> um, but I think that, you know, the reason why I keep going with it and I've been asked to write a book and, um, and I absolutely did not want to, but the, I'm working on a book right now. And the reason why I'm working on it is because every time I speak about it and I've been speaking about it, in places as varied as a beauty conference to UC Berkeley, my alma mater, um, to women's conferences. I speak about it because every time I talk about it, I think I awaken some people in the crowd mm-hmm. who go, oh my gosh, you're totally right. I, 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 Life is not over yet or life, I don't have to wait for life to begin. And I, I've been surprised that people in their late 20s have come up to me and said how, how much it's changed, how just calling themselves a perennial has has changed how they're viewed in the, in the workplace because they can be a perennial and their 60 year old boss can be a perennial and that it's a unifying concept and not a divisive, a divisive generation and that they absolutely have, I mean, yeah, of course there are some things, stereotypical things that we can relate to with any group we belong to. Right. So it's like, I don't know about you, Netta, but it's like, I'm from the eighties 80s and 90s, maybe Amy's from like the 90s. And, you know, it's like, there's some things we can relate to, but the fact that that that's not going to define us and we are people of the moment and people of the future. And the fact is, is that people are going to live a lot longer and we're going to have to pivot so much more in the future that I don't care what age you are right now, you're going to have to learn to pivot, grow, regrow, be fallow. And that is what perenniality is all about. And that's why I continue to talk about it. I love it. And it's actually the way we met. Um, I read an article. Uh, you were in the article. It was from a, a, a newspaper in London. Oh my gosh. <laughs> I thought you were English. <laughs> and lo and behold, I, I don't know, three, four weeks later, I'm at a parent party for my fourth grade son. And a friend of mine says, there's a woman that I really want you to meet. She's a dear friend of mine from San Francisco. And it was you. It was you, Gina. I was like, are you kidding me? I know all about this woman. I've read that article. And then, you know, then the gin and tonics. Yeah. And here we are. 
So um, <laughs> I get the awakening. Mm-hmm. I get what that means. And it's for, for me, it has so much to do with liberty. And if mm-hmm. you are articulating something that I hadn't, um, I hadn't been able to, I, I, in, in a fluid way, I think you hit the nail on the head um, in saying this is both inclusive and, um, and self-selective, I think, yeah, you know, yeah, you choose, yeah. you and, choose. And I just, I, I think, I think it just, I could, I could use the word perennial. It wouldn't, you know, cause some inquiry, which I liked mm-hmm. from people. I mean, it would, it would make them, it would beg for that sort of curiosity. And then we could mm-hmm. unpack and unfold what it means to, continue to be curious, to continue, continue to wonder what could be. And I think that's just at the heart of what we're doing here. So I appreciate that. And I appreciate how it's really informed the what it's, I mean, the fact that you have this audience that's grown to this hundred thousand size in such a short amount of time is sort of remarkable because it's a noisy place out there, that digital world. Mm -hmm. Um, and so you guys have definitely hit something you've, you've struck a a chord, you've hit a nerve. Um, and and I think it's a meaningful one and having been on your Facebook groups or participated in in them, it's obvious that people feel safe and are willing to be vulnerable in that space. Mm -hmm. How have you guys, um, how do you think you created that space? Like what was it about the, so you're experts and you're telling people here's some cool things to do and see and read and and whatever, but that doesn't necessarily translate into making a, creating a safe place for that community online. How do you think you did that? How did you marry those two? It's funny. I mean, we were just, Gina and I were just chatting about this before we hopped on. It's, um, you know, we're two and a half years into our business and it's, really, I mean, we launched our group a year ago, almost to the day. And, uh, you know, it, we launched this because we were in a really tough place in terms of, you know, we've, we, at that point we'd had our business for 18 months. Um, when, when Gina and I started the, what we made a really conscious effort and a commitment to each other to not focus on revenue, um, to just focus on content and, um, our readers And we held true to that. We held each other accountable for that. Um, And it was great because that's what allowed us to really grow um, such a strong reader base and to grow that trust. But fast forward 18 months, it is, you know, we are in a place where everyone thinks like, oh, y'all are killing it. And, um, you know, the what's the what's doing this and the what's doing that. and, And all we're thinking is, gosh, so and people were thinking, so we had some people say, well, is it a hobby or what are you, what are you doing with this? (laughs) Like uh, a lot of blood, sweat and tears. And we're trying to turn this into something. Um, And, and because everything that we've done and and the what list started, you know, it's kind of through the lens of our friendship. um, We, we thought, okay, so, so what's next, what's, what's next for us? And how do we translate this into something that is a business um, that we are having fun with um, and that's still delivering on kind of what we set out to do. And so, um, you know, connecting, inspiring, engaging, empowering women. And we sat down and I kid you not, I mean, we sat down one day um, and we were uh, at a winery (laughs) and we were sipping on some wine and going through 
ideas on, okay, so how do we jumpstart this? Not just, not just for our audience, but for ourselves. And uh, we sat there and we said, are we, why, why are we doing this? What are we doing here? And Gina, I think that's when you had just, you just read that book, the, the five whys, right? And, uh, and so Gina said, okay, I've got an exercise for us. So it's, it's the why. So I'm going to, we're going to ask each other questions and we're going to drill down um, until we understand really why we're doing this. And so we went through this exercise of why do we love this? Why are we doing this? Are we delivering on connecting, engaging, empowering, inspiring? And at that point in time, we only had our newsletter. We'd done a handful of events and, uh, and as we're going through, are we connecting? Okay. Yes. I guess we're, ki- we're, we're connecting with our readers a little. Are we engaging? Eh, not really. Are we inspiring? Maybe. Um, and we realize that this, we've got this great newsletter, but it's still just an outgoing message. Mm-hmm. And it didn't really close the circle or close the loop for us in terms of building those relationships that we love with our, with our readers, with our community. And so um, we had had, I had had lunch with a friend uh, a few weeks prior and she said, you know, y'all still have this Facebook group, right? And I said, yeah, you know, we, we do, we've got a hundred members or so. She said, well, wow. <laughs> you know, you should, you should look at that. And Gina and I talked about it that day and, uh, we sat there and we said, let's post something to this group. We've got a hundred members. Let's post something. And the question was, aside from sex, how do you find pleasure in life? And, um, and so we responded and then Gina and I parted ways, not really having come to a conclusion on what we were going to do to really jumpstart our business. Uh, and we got home and we realized that we had all these comments and all these likes on Facebook and our group. And we thought, wow, we're kind of on. And women inviting their friends. uh, I remember we had, we. Yeah. Women inviting like 110 friends. Yes, friend requests to our Facebook group, and we thought, "Oh my gosh, the light bulb went off." We never mm-hmm. asked and them. Never, yeah, yeah. <laughs> exactly. We've been that putting it out there, but we'd never, yeah. we'd never ask them. Um, we were never in conversation with them. Let me ask you just two things that that brings up for me. So our listeners yeah. um, are very likely to be saying, "This is fantastic," but uh, the platform I want to launch or grow needs to make money. These two weren't <laughs> focused on money. Can you tell us why that wasn't a focus or was it just eventually we will, but just not now we're giving ourselves mm-hmm. ourselves a couple years to, Absolutely. um, to focus on the, uh, on really building out the, the content. Like Amy said in the very beginning, what we, what we didn't do right in our first business, which was we I mean, we raised money and we were expected to become this big business and scale. So that's where our focus was, was on the business and making money. What we did the second time, which is, I think what we did right is if, especially if you're in media, you, your, your product is, you have to think about what, what is your product? So what, for, for us, it's media, it's the content that we create, um, for anybody who is going into business, you have a product that you, you are trying to promote and sell. And so, um, in terms of creating community, we, we couldn't, we could not even think about how to monetize it to begin with, because I mean, it's one thing, like if you're selling widgets, you have to figure out how you're going to sell them and what your distribution method is. But when you have something as complicated as a newsletter or media, you're trying to grow some following and you want to monetize that 
there's no possible way. Believe me, we've done, we've, we've done this for 20 years. This is our year 20 of, of actually, no, it's not. I, I exaggerate. This is year 18. Um, 18. Close enough. That you have to, you have to come up with the right product first. And to think, to simply think about selling is, or how to make money off of it is the wrong focus. So I, Amy and I figured that the right focus was how to create something meaningful, deep, addictive, mm. something that people would turn to time and time again. And so going back to our, our reason for being, creating this engaging, empowering content for perennials, what, what was behind that at the very heart of that was our friendship. And so we did a lot of exercises to figure out what, what is this, our brand soul. And our brand soul from the beginning, even our, in our Splendora days, it was all about friendship, female friendships, our own friendship, and everything that came out of that it became the business, which is easy and fun and great, but also very difficult. Um, so, going, so going back to creating this community, and Ned, I think your question was, if you're focused on how to make this into a business, yeah. I think that's the wrong way to look at it. At least it was for us. It, because when you, when you, when you look at how can I make money off of that, out of it, it just, it just, um, it moves your, it moves your content. See, I'm not, I'm not even saying brand because brand is one thing and the stuff that creates the brand is another thing, right? It, it moves everything into maybe a bad way, right? So if you're creating, mm-hmm. if you're creating. It's motivated yeah. by something different. Yeah. yeah. So, so let's, let's just look at community. If, if your focus is like, how can I create community and a bunch of women to follow what I do? Okay, well, I need to make money off of them. So maybe I'm going to hook up with some retail brands, bring them to the retail brand space, take 20% of all sales. You know, that, okay, well, that works too, because Amy and I did that too. We did that in the beginning. And we'd yeah. bring a bunch of women who wanted to connect with each other and be friends, and we'd bring them to a retailer space. And within a few hours, we would sell something like crazy, like $18,000 worth of merchandise, Right. Well, that's not scalable because yeah. people, women will come together just to see each other. But when it, you keep coming together to buy things, it kind of starts feeling bad. Yeah. And mm-hmm. we started realizing women just wanted to be together, period. You know, like if there's other things around it because they realize that we have to make money out of it too, they're going to tolerate it for us. But women just want to be together. And so to to figure out how to bring women together so they can be together and what are some of the things they want to do together, not around some kind of business goal of yours. And that's, Mm -hmm. you know, that's what we did. I mean, you know, I mean, I don't know about you. I mean, I think we talk about this a lot, but one thing I, I did as a content chief that I've been my whole life, you know, just like a chief editor trying to think about what people will like and pushing it out there. This one way street that we were talking about this, this outgoing message what's changed now, um, is that we're listening, we're listening now. And I think the fact that we listened and we're paying attention rather than just continuing to push out our own bullshit. Um, I'm sorry, am I allowed to swear? <laughs> you are. We encourage it here at Liberty. Okay, good. Um, but you know, <laughs> whatever, whatever, whatever makes you feel like you, Thank you. we encourage. I, I think I need it sometimes. You know, I, I there was a quote in, in, in uh, a, co- a newsletter a couple of weeks ago, I think that we quoted Elizabeth Gilbert. Uh, I, I just love, I love that yeah. quote. I, I'm going to mess it up, but I don't know it verbatim, yeah. but she said something like part of there's been no successful evolution or something without 
letting go of your own bullshit or, or, or something about just like, (laughs) just like when you get tired of your own bullshit, I think is when you can really start to grow. And I think as entrepreneurs, first time, second time, third time, we always have this message that this Kool-Aid that we're drinking, that we're just, oh my gosh, you know what? Um, what I'm doing is I'm creating the sustainable, whatever, amazing, <laughs> new, fangled, revolutionary thing. And you just get so caught up in your own message that you're not thinking, how is this being received? What do these people want? Yeah. Once once I, I've created this yeah. thing, now what are they telling me that they want more? And yeah. we learned, Amy yep. and I learned the most from critical feedback, negative feedback, um, aggressive feedback, frankly. Yeah. One woman once told us that we peed all over her life. people talking to you and not have aggressive feedback. <laughs> yeah. It's just, it's just, it's a, it's a, a numbers game. Uh, yeah. So, let, let me just, I want to say, because I, again, I think there are people listening who you guys are offering a lot of wisdom around the media space, the content space. Mm-hmm. And and there are still lots of voices who are trying to figure out how to make money on that. Mm-hmm. And we know what's happening in mm-hmm. print. And we know, um, you know, there's been this quarterly revolution and hopefully some of those will be able to sustain themselves. But who really knows? It's so expensive. We know that advertisers are looking elsewhere because um, they're creating their own media. They're creating their own platforms. Yeah. Um, and so I think it's the, the, the takeaway from listening to the two of you is if this is a space that you want to get into, pay, pay attention to who you want to serve and come at it from, from that first and worry about the monetization later because it's such, it's such a sensitive, um, that's not the word. It's a fragile, uh, business framework. You've got to build the the foundation with people, mm-hmm. um, perhaps, and not just with, with content, pictures, words, whatever it is. Mm-hmm. It starts with people. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, you know, it makes, it makes me, my son, and I think always bringing it back to like its purest form. And I share this because my, my son, a couple, I don't know, a couple months ago, he was telling, he was telling some women, what the what was they asked him and I was like I was so excited for him to to share this I was like I cannot wait to hear this he's seven years old he said well the what the what helps women be friends get together and share stories and I I heard that and I was like wow that is that is what we do in the purest sense and if a seven-year-old little boy can get that then we're on to something yeah. and we've done a really good job at holding each other accountable to, um, to, to just like bringing it, yeah. you know, like this is what we do. And so if he can get it, then I, I, that's what I, I mean, I think about that a lot because when I, when I'm in our community and that's, you know, our, it's our reader community that really helps keep us going in, in tough times that we, that I look to what we have built and I see the response and I see the conversations and I see the support and the wisdom. And I think, okay, if my seven-year-old son can explain it like that, and these women are experiencing, experiencing it on a day-to-day with each other, then we're on to something. And if you stay true to that, then you can, I think you can build anything and you can tackle anything. Well, you just, you, you named a very magical intersection when what you say you do is what your consumer base experiences. Yep. And that's often not the case, unfortunately. Mm-hmm. So y- you guys talked about a difficult time. You're at a winery. You're asking your whys. <laughs> you respond with, let's throw out this 
Facebook question. Was there a time other than that in this particular uh, venture with the what that you guys wanted to just throw in the towel and, <laughs> and what kept you going? I mean, many times, I don't, you know, <laughs> right. Every hour. I, I, yeah. I think it's just, you know what? It's built into the entrepreneurial process that you feel it throwing in the towel yeah. all the time. If I didn't have Amy, I probably would have thrown in the towel a long time ago. But going back to the business question that you answered, the tactical question of how do you monetize content? Because I know you have a lot of readers who are content producers, and it is really, really hard to figure this out when you're on your own. There, there used to be all of these places online where you can go and register your URL or do whatever it is and get your, your micro commerce, <laughs> whatever, the, you know, the way as a, a new, I'm going to call it, let's just coin a term right now, like the new content creators now. And by new content creators, mm -hmm. I mean like creating content in the Arctic freeze of brands, not wanting to spend money on you. Um, yeah. yeah, Amy, this is the, for, for Amy and I, this totally. is like par for the course. <laughs> we already went through this when the whole internet failed back in 19, 2001. <clears throat> 2001, 2008. Yeah, two, we, yeah. It's a cycle. <laughs> Pick a year, any yeah. year. <laughs> but I mean, it's going to happen again. I mean, the, the, as, yeah. it is happening. Yeah. It is happening yes, in the gonna, influencer arena it, where few are getting the support, the financial support, and the micro influencer is like, never mind. Why even bother? Right. But, There's nothing but here's the thing. Here's the thing. I, I, I was talking to a girlfriend of mine and she's, she started a small makeup brand that is now a massive makeup brand. And she's such a tough. She is the toughest entrepreneur who had, she wasn't in the makeup business. She just bought a book on Amazon, got a blender. And now she's like one of, <laughs> it was like one of the biggest makeup brands out there right now. She goes, I, okay. I was just whining to her over lunch and bitching like, oh my God, my business is so hard. It's just not the same. I just can't make the money we, I used to. I used to hit send and collect $58,000. And now people are bitching about $2,000, you know? And she goes, Stop whining and just know that Suck it up. <laughs> she did. She actually did. She totally she, did. I love her for that. She goes, she's like, listen, first of all, stop whining because um everything you're telling me is bullshit. And I go, what? It's not bullshit. The whole, the whole climate, the whole media climate has changed. She's like, so what? She's like, when I when I went to go launch my makeup brand back in 1999, everything had changed. And I was like this weeny teeny tiny lip gloss company, and there are a million huge brands out there. And I found my way and then Sephora dumped us and I found my way and I continue to find my way. You just have to find your way. And I'm like, what a yeah. bitch, you know, but she was, yeah, <laughs> I was, I was really just jealous because she really did find yeah. her way and she's tough <laughs> and she's resilient and she doesn't take no for an answer. And, she, and she's like, listen, when things are down, when, when the industry is changing, that's when all the opportunity arises, right? That's right. It's like, Amen. The, I absolutely it's believe like that. When the, nu yep. when the nuclear yep. wars come, like all of the cockroaches will be scuttling out of their hiding places. Right. <laughs> and, and she's like, you just have to, okay. So you're telling me that, um, all the media companies are spending money on all these, the huge brands and you're too small to compete. So start going, talking to those brands, like, you know, figure out your way, figure out what's going to like make a city guide, make this, like start thinking about new things you can create. Right. And so, so to be very specific about how Amy and I do it is you actually, as a content creator, you can't just sit back on your ass and like, think like maybe someone's going to come to me and maybe I could just apply for this affiliate program <laughs> online. Okay. Yeah. You can, if you want to make $20 a, a month or whatever, you know, a year, Yeah. <laughs> but yeah. you know, 
Sadly. But the way that you have to do it, which is the way you always have to do it, is you, it, Amy and I call it hand-to-hand combat. You got to call up the brands that yeah. you think that you can move the needle on, no matter how big or small, how small your audience is, right? So let's say you have like 500 women on your on your email list or like 100 women, moms at your school or wh- whoever the people are. Then you figure out, well, who would want to know about these women? Who would want to know about my audience? And then you call those people up and you say, I have 100 people I'm going to bring them to your, your company, figure it out, like make it up, see what they want. Yep. Make yeah. it up as you go. <laughs> I, they'll tell you what they need. They'll go, Oh, interesting. So you have a hundred women who are affluent or whatever they are. They could be, they're, sure. they're all school teachers and they want to, whomever you're trying to aggregate as a, as a content creator, you must have some sort of overlap in your community where they're a certain kind, they're a like-minded kind of person, Right. And somebody yeah. wants to get in front of that person. So figure who out who those people are and then go talk to them. So I have these people, you know, why don't we do something together? Yeah. Whether it's so on yeah. the heels of your friend, yeah. the, the, you know, who gave the bitch, who gave ah, you the advice. My, 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 she's, really, she's my very beloved, <laughs> beloved her friend. for us because yeah. she's, she's giving all of us that <laughs> opportunity to think outside of the box and also to not be lazy and say, yeah. I got into content because there were these models that were in place that I could, I could hit click and I would be a part of that community, whether it's affiliate or otherwise it's, that's, what's changed. The need for people to still have content, the need for people to still aggregate content is a like-minded group is still very important. There will never be anything more important than content. I believe like, just think about how our world is driven by content, whether it's real news or fake news or advertising messages or inspirational moving things that can change lives, right? It's all about content and it's all about your point of view. And I think that, yeah. But you can never be lazy about it, yeah. ever. Well, we can't, we can't. It's just about what, what I talk about when I talk about perennially. You can't blame these cohorts that are outside of yourself. You can't blame industries. You can't blame your age group. You can't blame, like you can. Um, and then you can just sit there and just be a victim of like, well, now I'm over 40 now or well, yep. I'm a woman now and I don't have any opportunity or well, I mean, nothing ever gets accomplished by saying, you know, by saying like, the, the industry sucks. And so therefore I <laughs> yeah. can't do what I want to do. No, we can do, I mean, you know, this, everybody, everybody's listening, I'm sure to Liberty and I love the name Liberty. It's about freedom, right? We can yeah. do seriously, whatever the fuck we want to do. It's just going to take really, really hard work, headaches. You're going to have to meditate. You're going to have to like be in denial. You're going to have to have some fun with some friends to take your mind off of it. But we can do Don't get your hair done. No, we we can yeah. do anything yeah. we want to do. It's just like, are you into it for the hard work? And Amy and I don't focus yes. on the hard work. We focus more on the fun. I, I I love it. And it's obvious. It's obvious in your relationship. It's obvious in the women that you've been able to pull into your community that they see and understand and feel a part of what you guys have created and, and it is the success of the what. So (laughs) now we're going to move on to where we pick your brains um, and we get all the goods out of you. So Liberty listeners say, stay tuned for the (laughs) next episode with Amy and Gina. We'll be right back. Liberty Sessions is broadcast on all platforms, Apple Podcast, SoundCloud, Google Play, and Stitcher. If you like what you've heard, please subscribe, rate, and review Liberty Sessions on Apple Podcast. It helps us to know if these episodes are inspiring and equipping you to launch and grow your own ventures. You can also find us every day on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook at Liberty For Her. 
And please leave a comment using the hashtag Liberty Sessions. We want to hear your thoughts, suggestions, and brilliant ideas. Liberty Sessions is produced by Netta Jones and Elizabeth Windham and music by Jordan Flower. deserves the best and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.